0: the daily bite i'm your host pastor steve andrews today we study from second kings chapter 10 and this is a difficult and bloody chapter that focuses on the judgment of god that's the point that you don't want to lose sight on as we make our way through the text this is god's judgment on those who have been faithless on those who have abandoned the lord and his ways As sinners, we all deserve death, right? Read Romans chapter 3, read Romans chapter 5. The punishment for sin is death. And God can bring about that punishment whenever he sees fit as the judge of heaven and earth. And that's what he does here in chapter 10. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. So Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders, and to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying... Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, fortified cities also, and weapons, select the best and fittest of your master's sons, and set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid, and said, Behold, the two kings could not stand before him. How then can we stand? So he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders and the guardians, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants, and we will do all that you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever is good in your eyes. Then he wrote to them a second letter, saying, If you are on my side, and if you are ready to obey me, take the heads of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. Now the king's sons, seventy persons, were with the great men of the city, who were bringing them up. And as soon as the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, seventy persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel. When the messenger came and told him they have brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until the morning. Then in the morning, when he went out, he stood and said to all the people, You are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who struck down all these? Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of Yahweh, which Yahweh spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for Yahweh has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and his close friends and his priests, until he left him none remaining. Then he set out and went to Samaria, on the way, when he was at beth Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah king of Judah, and he said, Who are you? And they answered, We are the relatives of Ahaziah, and we came down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. He said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of beth Eked, forty-two persons, and he spared none of them. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, It is. And Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for Yahweh. So he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria, till he had wiped them out according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke to Elijah. Then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshippers and all his priests. Let none be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to offer to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshippers of Baal. And Jehu ordered, Sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent throughout all Israel. And all the worshippers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. And they entered the house of Baal. And the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to him who was in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab the son of Rechab, and he said to the worshippers of Baal, Search, and see that there is no servant of Yahweh here among you, but only the worshippers of Baal. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed eighty men outside, and said, The man who allows any of those whom I have given to your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he had made an end of the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, Go in and strike them down, let not a man escape. So when they put them to the sword, the guard and the officers cast them out, and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. And they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal, and burned it. And they demolished the pillar of Baal, and demolished the house of Baal, and made it a latrine to this day. Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, that is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. And Yahweh said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that is in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of Yahweh the God of Israel with all his heart, he did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. In those days, Yahweh began to cut off parts of Israel. Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites, from Aroer, which is by the valley of the Arnon, that is, Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, and all that he did, and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Jehoahaz his son reigned in his place. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was twenty-eight years. This is the word of the Lord. So again, a very blood-filled chapter that we have together. It is the judgment of God upon the house of Ahab, as he foretold back in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 21 and 22, that's verse 17 here, according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke to Elijah. That's where you'll find this, that God has said himself, he's going to wipe out the house of Ahab so that it will be like the house of Jeroboam and the house of Baasha. It will be eliminated entirely, cut off, not a male left alive. And that's what we see fulfilled in the course of this chapter. So it starts with learning that Ahab had 70 sons. Wow. I consider that for a moment. That's a lot of children. I don't know of any family that even comes close to that in our our era today. But Ahab did as king. Likely, of course, through multiple wives, but 70 sons. And Jehu sends a letter to the guardians of these sons, encouraging them to essentially have a competition, fight for the throne. Jehu is laying his claim to the throne. If any of the family of Ahab wants it, let them fight for it. And they don't. Verse 4, they were exceedingly afraid. They realized that Jehu took out two kings already. How could they stand against him? And so instead, all the leaders of the city together gather with the elders, the guardians, the, the palace head himself, whoever was in charge of the palace of King Ahab. And they give a good response. We are your servants. We will do all that you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever is good in your eyes. They acknowledge him as king, which Yahweh has made him king. So this is right. He has the authority to do these things. He sends them a response that their first order, if they're on his side, is to kill all the sons of Ahab, all 70 of them, and send their heads to him. And they do it, verse 7, they slaughter the sons of the kings, and they send their heads to Jezreel. Now, he leaves them outside as a visual for the people. Verse 9 is a bit odd. He says, you are innocent, speaking to the people, so the people are innocent of the bloodshed. It is I who conspired against my master and killed him. So, Jehu takes credit for killing the king. But who struck down all these? So, even though he's just declared that the people are innocent, he has now lumped together all of the leaders of Israel. Jehu and the leaders are working together. The people would know who has done this act so even though the people have not shed blood the the leaders are on the same page as jehu they are together in this thing now if you want to ask does jehu go too far because again this is god's judgment god indeed has said this to happen Does Jehu go too far? If there's somewhere he goes too far, it's verse 11. He strikes down all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, which he was supposed to do, all his great men and his close friends and his priests until he left him none remaining. I would make the case here that this is not too far, that this fits with what God has said. To allow, it's it's a definitional thing, We think of a household today, and we think of a family. So my household consists of myself, my wife, and our four daughters. Your household consists of you and whichever family members you have residing with you. But the biblical term household was broader than that. And Ahab's is already anyway, because of how many children he had and how many wives. But the household included servants. It included their families it it just it's bigger it's a bigger picture that you see and that's that's from cover to cover throughout the book that you'll find that all through scripture so verse 11 as jehu has been instructed as yahweh has condemned the household of ahab it's the whole house and jehu carries that out all his great men in the house all of his close friends who would have been staying with him as as people in his household and his priests, who are false priests, right, to to false gods. Jehu takes them all. Again, I think that is in line with what he was supposed to do. Verse 12, we get this mention of Beth-Ekid. That means in Hebrew, house of binding. It's where the shepherds bound sheep in order to have them sheared. Jehu meets the relatives of the Judean king, Judah's king, Ahaziah, and he slaughters them as well, 42 of them. Now, remember, Ahaziah has married into the house of Ahab. Well, his father did, right? So the the families are intertwined at this point. Both kings are connected to Ahab's house. And so this spills over. Then we get Jehonadab. This is the first mention of Jehonadab that we've seen. And he is an ally to Jehu. They work together. Uh, so this is, we pick him up, quite literally, in the chariot, right? Jehu extends his hand and, and brings him into his chariot. And he arrives in Samaria from Jezreel. So Samaria being the capital. He goes to Samaria and he strikes down anyone he finds remaining to Ahab. There is a reference in Hosea chapter 1 verse 4 that suggests that Jehu has gone too far, but not here. It's going to be for what we see later on, that Jehu is not faithful to God. So let me read that to you. This is from chapter 1, verse 4 of the book of Hosea. Yahweh said to him, to, to the prophet Hosea, call his name Jezreel, For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, I suggest to you that this is not for what we have just seen, because God is going to congratulate Jehu in in this chapter on what he has done, rather for the sins that are mentioned of Jehu in that same, basically the same breath. We'll come to that here momentarily but let's, let's cover the prophets of Baal first. You can ask your kids here in verse 18, as you read 18 and 19, what's Jehu doing? He's lying, but he's doing it in order to trap all of the false prophets. He's baiting them. He's drawing them all out so that he can get rid of them all together. All of these worshipers of false gods who have abandoned Yahweh and are worshiping others, he's going to destroy them all. And it's the people too, right? Not just the priests. You see prophets, worshipers, and priests in verse 19. And the trick works. They fill the house of Baal. He kills all of them. And in verse 27, he destroys the pillar of Baal, which would have been the focal point of worship. Almost like how the focal point of Christian worship, um, well, truly it would be the Lord's Supper, but we tend to think of it probably as the cross hanging above an altar in our churches. Um, the pillar here is is prominent. And so that gets destroyed, and then the whole house is destroyed, and they make it into a, a latrine. And according to the author of the book, it was still a latrine to the day that he wrote this book. So Jehu eliminates Baal worship from Israel. That's a positive. Right? In, in God's judgment, this is what God told the Israelites to do when they claimed the promised land several hundred years earlier. They were supposed to drive all these pagan gods out. They were not allowing the people to live in the land with them, these, these foreign peoples, because those pagan practices would overcome them. But they fell anyway. They gave in. They did not drive everyone out. The pagan practices grew and grew and grew and it's only been so ever since the start. But even though he did this good thing, Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the golden calves that are in Bethel and Dan, so false worship still remains. They're not worshiping Yahweh faithfully. And so we have another evil king over Israel. He's the tenth. They've still had zero good ones. Judah's at two good and four bad by the count here, but ten wicked kings over Israel thus far. So God, again, verse 30, commends him. You have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes. He has done well bringing about the judgment of God in this world. God authorized it. He has done it. He's done well driving out false worship from the land, some of it. He did not go far enough on that one. He should have torn down those those temples that were, well, I don't know, we should call them temples, those places of worship, those houses of worship in Dan and Bethel. And so the Lord gives him to the fourth generation that his family will sit on the throne of Israel. So we'll be able to look at that in the days to come as we continue in the book. We learn that God's judgment upon Israel has already begun, not just in wiping out the third household of a king. But now even beginning to give away some of the promised land. Uh, That's not fair. This is not promised land. If you remember back to when the Israelites are finishing up the wilderness wanderings, they're entering the promised land, two and a half tribes don't want to go. They don't want to cross the Jordan. They see the land on the east of the Jordan, and they think it's good enough. They want to live there. And so they do. And it's that land east of the Jordan that is gone first, that is given up first, and God gives it over to Hazael, king of Syria. So the the fight, the conflict with Syria has been going on already in the book of Second Kings, and it continues here and now. After 28 years, Jehu dies, and his son Jehoahaz will reign in his place. So we'll talk more about him in the days to come. Now, Another question to unpack as a family after a chapter about God's judgment. Do we need to fear God's judgment? It's a tricky question. It's kind of a yes and a no. In a way, we do fear God's judgment. We're told to fear the Lord. In fact, Jesus himself says it, that the only thing we are to fear is God himself. Jesus will say that we are not to fear those who can destroy the body, but only the one that can destroy body and soul together in hell. And that is not a reference to the devil. The devil does not have that power, that authority. Only God does in his judgment. So there is a level of fearing God that is a healthy fear of God. Because, in a way, like the law curbs us from committing sins against the Lord, so does that fear. But at the end, truly the answer is also no. We don't need to fear the Lord because we know the outcome, right? When you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day and have to give an account for all that you have done, we can't stand. Our, our sinfulness is too great. Even one sin would be too many. But Jesus will stand there before you. Jesus. Jesus takes your guilt for you, and he's done so already on the cross on Calvary, he has freed you from your sins. He has taken them away from you. They are his. This is the beauty of the gospel. When you come to the gates of paradise, when you come to the judgment throne of God, he will see you as innocent because Christ has declared it to be true through his own blood shed for us. The judgment of God fell on his son instead of us. So it's it's a tricky question. Like I said, it's a yes and a no the judgment of God, the the righteous, the good fear of God is a good thing. But at the same time, we have the comfort of knowing who Christ is and what he's done for us.